Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. everybody welcome to so hot right now this is a special drop-in episode with our great friends from outrage and optimism oh, i'm so excited uh, i'm lucy siegel and i'm tom mustill and i was just saying to lucy that we don't normally have uh, company in this way there's a whole bunch of us on this call and it's like lots of your friends have come around to your house but you're, you're not quite ready and i kind of feel like i should tidy up the room behind me and get out the good china these guys I mean, you probably have heard of them. Do you like living in a planet you can survive on? Thank you very much to our guests this week. Uh, they're very much responsible for that. But they've continued, not, not content with saving the world many years ago. They're continuing to save it now and to talk about it very eloquently with extraordinary guests. And recently, a performance on an, a forthcoming single with Massive Attack. It's already out, Tom. <laughs> it's an oh, EP. God. Let's do that again. Let's do that it's again. It's already it's out. out. It's out. Yeah. No, no, all mistakes stay in, Tom. You know the rules. Brilliant, okay. Uh, so this is fun. And I have to say, this is the closest I've been to an evening in the pub for about six months. I, I know, where are great. the liquids? That's what I want to know. Where are the liquids? That's a where good question. Where are the liquids? Our standards have dropped. I've got a glass of oh, chilled I've water. Got, uh, a sports bottle of water. Uh, shall we introduce our guests? Yes, I think so. Uh, the, the amazing Christiana Figueres. Tell us where you are. I am in San Jose, Costa Rica, which is unusual for me because I'm usually actually on the Pacific Ocean in Costa Rica. But today I'm in the middle of the city. And you can't see half of Christiana's head because she's built a special recording booth for herself, which stops you seeing her when she's talking to the yeah, microphone. Yeah, because my, my better recording booth is at the beach. Um, so with the little leftovers of the acoustic foam, I have built myself a tiny little space here in which I have injected the microphone and I have no idea whether this is going to get approved by Clay on our side or um, by Natalie on your side, um, but we're doing the best we can. It, it is ever so slightly eccentric seeing you speak into what effectively is, looks yeah, like no, it's a packaging right. Yes, it's very odd. I'm just going to yeah. say yeah, it's I have, very I'm, odd. <laughs> I have to be very uh, rude and not look at you if we want to get the best sound effect, you see? Yeah, it's amazingly strange, but lovely to be with you, Christiana. And that's Paul Dickinson. And where are you, Paul? Hello. I'm in my little flat in Brighton in the south of England land, the San Francisco of Britain, if you will, or the UK. Uh, Tom Karnick, where are you? No, 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 who are you? Tom Rivet Karnak, I think, is the person you're referring to. Oh, sorry. Right, right, right. right. So, so, so. I forgot the Rivet. No, no, no. It's fine. So, I spent the first part of my professional career as Tom well, Karnak. Well, that's when I know you Introduced from. exactly as well as my two good friends who are also on the line, Christiana and Paul, know me as that. And then I came out of the closet as having a double barreled name, which is a source of tremendous interest to my friends, along with periodic haircuts and other things. So, yes, I have now come out of the closet. I have a double barreled name. And well, a haircut, haircut that makes him completely unrecognizable. And had a <laughs> With, is it okay to say that that is a riveting story? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very riveting story. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Boom. Boom, Tom. Good one. <laughs> Who thought oh. climate change was this fun? 
Right. Uh, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we run a podcast. We've run it for a year. It's called Outrage and Optimism. We call it that because we think that the climate change debate has forgotten half of itself, right? Half the people are kind of optimistic about what's going to happen and they kind of look at the positives and they look at where it's going and they look at technology and they look at policy and they come out with conclusions that we're going to make real progress. And the other half are like, oh my God, we're not going to make it. And they get outraged and they go to the streets and they try and find other ways through. And we think both of those are necessary and they're mutually mm -hmm. supportive. And actually when they come together, they can give us the momentum and the inspiration and the energy and the determination to really make a change. So in the podcast over the course of the last year, we talk to people across that spectrum from very optimistic technologists and investors, CEOs of major investment houses, major companies, to you know, school strikers, people on the streets, people who are outraged and are demanding change. And we kind of try and bridge that divide and help everybody understand what you can do to be part of this great transformation that we're currently going through at the moment, how you can participate in that, how you can look honestly at it, but you don't succumb to the sense that it's impossible and find the courage and determination to keep moving forward. And you do it very, very well, guys. It's, uh, it's just getting stronger and stronger. I want to ask you about your next episode coming up, Christiana Figueres. Is it an is it an optimist episode or an outraged episode? <laughs> it's um more on the uh, second. So uh, we have had an interview. Can I spill the beans? Please, yep. yeah, yeah. David Wallace Wells is a uh, very known uh, climate author. And uh, he, by his own self-definition, right, he calls himself an alarmist. And uh, he has uh, really been widely published with his opinions that he just doesn't believe that we are going to... He, he definitely does not believe that 1.5 degrees as a maximum temperature is possible. I don't think he even believes that we can do two. And so he has specialized himself in raising the voice of alarm. And so in our episode, we talked to him about the value of, uh, of really scaring people um, and injecting fear into people. We have to remain uh, positive and optimistic, but we also have to look in the face of unbelievable catastrophe and seriously know that. And so, mm. yeah, we, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about that. And I think that um, you couldn't separate them up, you know. Um, when love and need uh, are combined, that's the only time that the, the work ever really gets done. And um, yeah, it was a very touching interview, but I think um, we got a chance to look through it and to be uh, strengthened by it. It gives us more power and energy to do the work that, that we all uh, take so seriously and you do so beautifully too. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts.
if we want to be very frank, and I think this is the moment to do it, <laughs> you have been criticized for being overly fatalistic and using fear as a motivating force. We have been criticized for being overly optimistic and using, you know, a promising vision of the future as our motivating force. Now, here we are, right? Face with reality. Um, I would say that the fear that we have had, all of us, over the past few weeks has been an incredibly powerful motivating force short term. Look where we're all sitting, everybody behind their four walls. Now, the question that I honestly cannot answer and I would love you to answer for us is, do you think that fear and alarm can also be a long-term motivating factor. Because the fact is that the timescale with which we will address the health crisis and, in fact, even the economic disaster that comes as a knock-on effect is far shorter than the time period that we will have to have sustained response on climate change in order to be effective. So, Again, we come back to our topic of time, right? Can fear mm -hmm. and can alarm be a long-term effective motivating factor? And I ask this of, with huge respect to you of the master of fear. Can we do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, my answer is that um, on no timescale do I think that fear should be the only, um, the only messaging strategy or the only... Um, the only form of public communication. Um, we always need to be talking about what can be averted, what can be restored, what can be secured. I think that's vital, even at the you know talking about a two-week or a two-month timeline, um, but certainly on the on the scale of of two decades or two centuries, which is the kind of thing we're thinking about with climate change. But I do think that even on those longer timescales, we need to keep in mind what is possible and what is quite scary about that possible future. Mm -hmm. Because what I worry about as much as the lack of public concern or lack of public motivation, lack of political energy drive to drive um, climate action is the social phenomenon of normalization. Mm -hmm. That is a sort of a horrifying response to have when in fact we have thousands more people dying every day than the day before. And even my own reflex towards normalization, I think I find kind of morally abhorrent. But I spent some time last spring in California in the aftermath of their horrifying 2018 fire season. And I spoke with a lot of people who, you know, I went out there thinking I was going to be reporting a story that was essentially a postcard from our climate future when many more people would be crippled with climate anxiety and really deeply worried about whether the place they had made their lives was a place that they could continue to live. And in fact, what I found much, much more than that were people who said things like, we've always had fires in California. This is normal. Mm -hmm. And I would say, no, 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 but the fires in LA last year were twice as big as the next biggest one in LA history. And you know, they've grown fivefold since 1970 in, in California generally. Um, I met a woman who who lived who lived in Malibu long enough that she had lived through nine fires, oh. and I said to her, "How how could you possibly continue to live on this landscape and know that that is going to happen again at some point?" And she said, "You live in New York, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "You guys had Sandy, and you know she was right." <laughs> and one of the ways I think we can guard against normalization and guard against the impulse that we all have to adjust our expectations as we go along 
is by keeping in mind the longer time frame and keeping in mind the more dramatic possible outcomes um, that are you know are conceivable on that time frame, so that we're not always just saying, oh well, you know maybe next year rainfall is going to be three percent worse. We're talking about. 20 years from now, rainfall being 40% right. worse or um, hurricanes being 50% more intense or more common. Beyond all of which, I would just say, you know, you all probably have a slightly more optimistic read on what's possible. But the way I look at the timeline that we have and the amount of decarbonization that we need to do, I don't think it's possible that we avoid two degrees Celsius of warming. And everything I know about what that level of warming would mean is on its own deeply alarming. Which means since I come to the subject, I'm now starting to think of myself a little bit as a kind of a climate advocate, but mostly I think still think of myself as a journalist and an observer. And if what we know about what I think is an inevitable level of warming is terrifying, then I think it's responsible to process that alarm, process those scary futures and do what we can to communicate them. So at the very least, we have a collective understanding about the future that we might be heading into in part to help motivate us to avoid it and make other choices, but in part just as a matter of public information. I think that generally speaking, very few people on the planet, a very thin sliver of the public, um, understands just what is in store for us. And I think, first of all, if they did know that they would want to do more to prevent it, but also just in the sense of reckoning with the future of their own lives, it's useful to communicate that to them. Can't thank you enough, Outrage and Optimism crew. It has been such a pleasure. I hope everyone listening has enjoyed this little glimpse of what it's like to be on their team. Yeah, it's nice. It's pretty cool. It's nice. It's a shame we can't share this with you because, you know, the lockdown, we've all gone a bit strange. This feels totally normal. This is like hanging out in a pub with some mates, nice climate mates. Loads of people on Zoom. Which either yeah. either is because this is normal or it's just because we've all gone quite weird and we can no longer... Big love out to So Hot Right Now, the hottest climate <laughs> podcast in the world, equally with Outrage and Optimism. Yes! Cool. Yes! <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. And the next next episode, do you drop your episodes on a Friday? We do. Is that yes, right? we do. And did I use on the word Friday, drop yeah. appropriately? Yeah, nice yeah, use yeah. of the word drop. I know, drop. I feel so self-conscious good, yeah. when we I say We drop our like hot <laughs> episodes on Fridays. <laughs> okay, bye. Thank you, Lucy, Tom. See you guys. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Ciao.